Greetings, Cinemaniacs. Sinquisitor Ethan here. First, I'd like to thank you all for your patience with us as we found new and creative ways to produce content while standing in solidarity with the SAG-AFTRA and Writers Guild strikes. While this has meant we have had to restructure our normal show flow and produce some different story content, it was all for the best of reasons. After the longest writers and actors strike in history, our comrades in the WGA and SAG-AFTRA were finally able to secure protections for the membership, get fair compensation for streaming, and force the studios to back away from their plan to exploit artists using AI. It was out of respect for the strike that we withdrew the episode that we had scheduled on our conclave examining the 1990 film Total Recall. We had only just published the first of these when SAG-AFTRA clarified its position on rewatch podcasts, so we recalled it and instead ran our profiles in Cinemania about the cast of the film. Our longtime listeners know that ordinarily, profiles pieces are scheduled to run between the segments of a conclave. Now that the strike has been suspended, we return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Presented for your listening pleasure is To McCarthy and Beyond, the first part of our conclave on Total Recall. The rest of the episodes in this series will appear every Wednesday over the next few weeks. Once again, thank you for your support. How long have we been out here anyhow? Uh, hey, hey guys, I've been trying to connect to the internet for like an hour now. Any of you having any luck? Nothing. Last thing I got on my phone was some warning about entering a radioactive dead zone. Probably just spam. Hmm, let me try. Hmm. Yes, interesting. Well, it's official. I got no bars. It's all the brutalist concrete architecture around here. Blocks the signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that true, or are you just making up to sound clever? Um, well, shut up. No, I think he's on to something. We're gonna have some real problems transmitting a conclave unless we get to some higher ground. What if we were, say, up on top of, like, a big steel Soviet-era rocket ship? How big? Like, so big, you could have, like, a roller coaster going around and around it with weirdly outdated propaganda everywhere? That's weirdly specific, but yeah, that would work, actually. What are you blathering on about? Look over there. Is that a... is that theme park? Let me, let me just get out my, my telemetric heliohancing view scopers. They're just normal binoculars painted silver. <sighs> let me have this. Mm, looks like an abandoned theme park. What do you say? Check it out. Hmm. Theme park means gift shop, snacks, drinks. Ooh, bar. Maybe. One can hope. Let's go. Ooh, roller coasters, spaceship rides, Ferris wheel. Boozy Ferris wheel? One can certainly hope. What? Never you mind. So, wait, what exactly is this place? Hmm. This plaque says, The World of Next Tuesday. You know what it what what this this whole this whole thing looks like it looks a lot like tomorrow <laughs> do you want to get sued by the mouse cuz that is how you get sued by the mouse it says right here on the plaque the world of next tuesday is a singularly unique and legally distinct creation of diligent soviet workers any resemblance likeness or reference to any capitalist oppressor mouse property past present or future is purely Coincidental. I certainly covered their asses. Marginally. 
Marxistly. Well, you never can be too careful when it comes to those capitalist oppressors. Hey, does this place seem kind of uh, communisty to you? Yeah, this place gives me the fucking creeps. Oh, you know, you know what all this 1980s imagining of 2020 era tech reminds me of? What? Yeah, that that one that one weird sci-fi movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you have any idea how little that narrows it down? I mean, are we talking spandex game show Arnie or leather cyborg Arnie? <laughs> uh, the one where uh, Arnie screams so much his eyes bug out of his skull? You have to be way more specific than that. It's not a tumor. Get to the chopper! I could have been a contender. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. From each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. Get your ass to Mars. Uh, uh, Mars, yes, that one. Total recall. Hmm, I don't suppose we've done a conclave on that one yet. Because reasons. Wait, so did I just suggest a conclavable movie? Right. Hey, we got a rocket to climb and a conclave to conclaviate. Let's go! Come with me if you want to. Oh dear, they're already off again. <laughs> if we're going to do a conclave, we need proper seating. That construction pit looks comfy. Dibs on the scrap pile. <sighs> I can't believe I'm reduced to worse seating than an undergrad student lecture hall. Right? <laughs> Wait, all this construction equipment reminds me of our dear strip mall. Ouch. The strip all of the damned. No longer. My bookstore. This again? Can't you just turn over a new leaf? Ugh. Leaf? Age? Looks? Get it? I eh? get it. That was weak, but the pun checks out. I'll allow it. To the ever comfy dirt piles. Think of, think of it, Hope, as starting a new chapter. Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> you shut your slutty mouth. Within a mysteriously empty 80s future core theme park, leagues away from what was once the strip ball of the damned. Wait, how long is a league? Three miles. How the fuck do you... You know what, never mind. Past the futuristic flying cars and McCarthyist propaganda posters, beyond the rats gleefully leaping through the rubble of unfinished construction, a secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener, and let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the fellows of the Lenten's Hall do convene to judge if it's time for Cinema worthy of our esteem, or whether it should cast down our worthless hokum. Let us start our friends in judgment. We the fellows Ooh, I hate this. Ah, nothing like the great outdoors. Warned, I felt something moving in this pile of dirt. What, like from enemy mine? Oh, no matter. We assemble. Sweet, sweet dirt. Only one thing could make this better. Don't say a door. I, I wasn't. I was thinking about something else. Not even remotely door related. Entirely free of entrances, portals, access ways. 
hatches. Right. What about vents? Vents uh, are right out. <laughs> vents are uh, so uh, way too sus. Anyway, haha. Uh, anyway, up. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> here, here, here we go. <sighs> Finally, a movie I know. Andre. Huh? Focus, repositor Andre. Find me something to use as a gavel. You seriously didn't just hear that? Hear what? Sounded like some lady calling... Never mind. Uh, gavel. Right. Seriously, you lose gavels faster than I lose my shoes. Huh? Where are your shoes? Where's your gavel? Touché. I swear to God, as soon as you find a gavel, I'm going to pin it to your fucking shirt with one of those little leash thingies, you know, like a toddler's pacifier. It's a vital piece of equipment, Philistine. There's a bunch of tools over here. Hey, will this hammer work? Ball peen or claw? <laughs> you said peen. It's... I, uh, I mean, look, it's got a handly bit and a thumpy thingy, all right? Hmm. Is that a solid ash handle or composite polymer? Oh, for fuck... Dude! Take the thing and bang it against some other thing. Here, I found a bunch of water jugs and crap. Fucking hit it. What kind of jugs are we talking about here? Bouncy? Dangly? Pointy handfuls? Uh, more like champagne. I think we're getting off topic. Hey, you let her speak. This sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm not sure it sounds official enough. Enough! It is done. Respect my jugs. <laughs> <laughs> what? Jugs. <laughs> All right. And welcome to our listeners, to whom I will now issue this warning. We disciples of the Cinemania Society have studied the mysteries of the motion picture and meditated upon the silver screen for many years. Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize, which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, this is reading way too much like Hallmark. Hold on. <clears throat> Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize, which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, we advise anyone listening to do so with discretion. Guard your ears carefully lest you develop a severe and irreversible case of cinemania. Present at our conclave tonight are... Sinquisitor Ethan, Keeper of the Lenses. Scrutinizer Zachariah, Guardian of the Door. Profligator Daniel, Possessor of the Word. Auntie Hope, Keeper of the Booze, since I'm out of books at the moment. Womp womp. Professor Andrea, Scholar of San Francisco. Verifier Andy, Master Illuminator. And Repositor Andre, voice from the Outer World. And I will be serving as our Pontifex of Presentment. <laughs> Doomed. I call to order this conclave on Total Recall, the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger action flick directed by Paul Verhoeven. That's James Bond meets Memento in space. But somehow both dumber and smarter than that sounds. It's because uh, it's full of dick. <laughs> <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Ani Hope will act as master castigator for this conclave. Charges against the film Total Recall include incorrect use of vaguely scientific terms, 
self-driving cars uglier than a gremlin and more explosive than a pinto. Overuse of prosthetics. Inspiring Elon Musk. Excessive use of incorrect scientific explanations. Employing multiple Star Trek actors, but somehow not Jeffrey Combs? The most spectacularly phony depiction of decompression ever committed to celluloid. Trigger warnings for this film include explosive decompression, bulging eyeballs, radiation mutation, extra boobs, non-consensual brain fuckery, consensual brain fuckery, class warfare, and rambling villain monologues. Actual trigger warnings include mild body horror, sexual objectification, and attempted mass murder. Blast off, I guess. So, uh, uh, Hope, read us in, yeah? All right. Welcome to Mars, everybody. And we know it's Mars because it is super red. And Arnie's taking a nice stroll in his pressure suit, holding hands with a beautiful woman. He trips, breaks his helmet, and falls victim to rapid decompression. Paul Verhoeven really wants us to know how bad an idea it is to be on Mars with a busted helmet. Because these special effects are gross. Maybe that'll be important later? This is what they call foreshadowing. Ooh. And it really is just a, a little trip. I mean, he just, he just bonks his head a little bit, and suddenly the whole faceplate is just blasted. What the hell is that? But yeah, we no. are treated to some of the best Arnold gargles of his career. Unmatched since Conan, yeah. Yeah. No, no, better than Conan. Like, he, he nails this better than Conan. Sorry. Ah, no, I agree. Fortunately, it's all a dream, and Arnie wakes up mid-scream in bed with a different beautiful woman. In this case, his wife, Lori, played by the fabulous Sharon Stone. She decides that some loud, sloppy kissing is just what he needs to take his mind off his terrible nightmares and his obsession with Mars. Cue more Arnold slobber. (laughs) (laughs) Did they just loop that sound for his kissing? (laughs) I'm kissing you now. This is romantic. (laughs) I am I am I am particularly reminded of his line from uh, Pumping Iron. The I'm pumping, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. So far, it seems the movie could have been written by Arnie himself. Laurie vacillates between being jealous of the dream lady and wanting to climb Arnie like a ferret up a sweaty Austrian oak tree. Later, in the kitchen, Arnie prepares his special recovery cocktail, mixing up what all men of the future have for breakfast: a protein shake. Takes a lot of protein and electrolytes to be married to Sharon Stone. (laughs) (laughs) The combination wall slash TV screen shows a classic selection of hyper-violent Paul Verhoeven newscasts, just like in Robocop. Remember when Robocop shot that guy in the dick? Uh, Oh, that was like 37 years ago, but it feels like yesterday. (laughs) Jesus. Anyway, Lori tells him not to watch all the bad news about the trouble on Mars and so forth, and tries to distract him. Wink, wink. The convenient exposition news tells us all about the current terrorist uprising slash war on Mars. Then Arnie suggests moving there. Seriously, dude? They literally just finished detailing the massive destruction, and that prompted you to suggest moving? You want to become a casualty? Because that's how you become a casualty. I was thinking about moving to Beirut. (laughs) Well, everybody knows that you can't trust big media. Lori suggests Saturn instead, but Arnie is... Dead set on Mars. Dead set. She keeps trying to change the subject, mostly by making out with him, but he only has eyes for the businessmen on the TV. 
He's a guy named Cohagen. Whom we'll get to know well very soon. Seriously, like... <laughs> while making out with Sharon fucking Stone, he is looking yeah. over his shoulder, ogling Ronnie Cox on the TV. What the fuck, dude? Uh, Cox, I think that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, he played the competent and completely justified Captain Jellicoe on Star Trek, Fight Me Nerds, uh -huh. and was also the corrupt executive Dick Jones in Robocop. Remember when we, we all remember? I'm just checking, it was 37 years ago. Like, I just, uh, just, when, he, when they bring up Saturn, it's just, that is objectively the better option. Like, this really made, like, I didn't realize how, how mad this made me until, like, just now. Because, yeah, <laughs> Mars is not only Mars, which, you know, low gravity, uh, uh, the sand is so fine, it will fill up your lungs and cut them up like razor blades. Did, but, like, did you forget that Saturn's a gas giant and doesn't actually have a surface for you no, to no, no, be no, on? No, 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 because the titan. suggestion here titan. is Titan, yes, exactly. Well, that's fine, mm -hmm. but they didn't say one of Saturn's moons. They said Saturn. You can, you can the theoretically make movie. a Paris, like a, like a, what's it called? The the um the 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 hang gliders you could you could theoretically flap your flap like a hang glider and fly on titan and constantly you would see saturn in the fucking sky all of the time and you want to go to not just mars but a but mars that is like in complete and total political upheaval while people are literally killing each other in the streets incorrect arnie bad assessment sorry you've given I this a lot of thought and also, Titan is the future headquarters of the Grey Knights chapter of Space Marines. Ooh, <laughs> good choice. And if that's not an appealing place to be, you're a heretic. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> you might be a heretic. And you know heresy begets retribution. <laughs> heresy leads to retribution. I hate that. <laughs> anyway. Arnie heads to the subway station, and after going through a huge x-ray scanner that was a major special effect at the time, still holds up today, he watches a conveniently timed ad for Recall playing on the giant shitty tube TV screens in the subway cars. Real, uneven use of super future tech. They promise the memory of a lifetime, and Arnie is transfixed. They filmed all this in the Mexico City subway because of its quote-unquote futuristic architecture, and Mexico City kept the TVs in there. I don't blame them. Turns out Arnie's job is construction. Nothing specific, just general sort of construction stuff. Like in the Barbie movie when Ken's job was just beach. He's practically riding a jackhammer. <laughs> Seen is for you, ladies. While well, talking to his work buddy, Harry, about recall. They aren't wearing any air protection and can somehow hear each other over the jackhammers. Who needs safety equipment in the future? Harry warns him against the idea, saying, don't fuck with your brain, pal. Because... Supposedly, he knew somebody who was basically lobotomized. Arnie obviously doesn't listen because at the very first opportunity, he's in the recall offices. They're so cool and futuristic, they spell it all weird and no one even brings it up. Recall with a K and two L's. In the book, it was spelled with one L and he wanted to make sure that you knew it was recall by adding the second L because otherwise people might actually... Uh, they even said recall and he said, no, no, it's pronounced recall in the book. But, or, not Reckle, all. rectal, you know. I mean, this Reckle. is also Don't want to get confused. Any, yeah, this is just any Silicon Valley startup, honestly. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, this definitely has that feel of startup. Like, I'm this Googling. The, there might actually be one. No shot. Or any child of a millennial with a weird-ass spelled name. <laughs> this Very is my real. son, Hunter, Thomas, and Reckle. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's Hunter with a G and two Fs. 
Uh, right G-H-U-N-T-T-E-R. next to Rowan. G-H-U-N-T-T-E-R. R- Rowan yeah. with an H. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I don't know. Wreck All would be a good wrestler name. Oh. I'm the Wreck All. <laughs> nice. Gonna give you a Wreck All nice. exam. The receptionist pauses color in her nails with a future stylist thingy. In the story, it was her breasts that were painted different colors, but it's still a nifty bit of visual effects. You can bet Verhoeven would have had color-changing titty tech if only the special effects would have allowed it. Anyway, she calls her boss, McLean, on a video phone while he is visible through the window directly behind her. She could have turned around and looked him in the eye, but this is the 80s, and if we can stick a screen on something, we will, damn it. Did this scene predict the future act of texting someone while in the same room? (laughs) The mistake they made was thinking we'd use technology to see more of each other and speak face-to-face whenever possible. (laughs) Disgusting. You can just tell that Verhoeven is off-camera going, Look, are you sure we can't make the titties change color? I really think it'd be good for the film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they actually like the funny thing is that this this whole scene really feels like it was ripped straight out of the book i mean apart from the the color changing breast technology like the they they really really captured the the feel of the book which is kind of surprising in in this kind of what feels like a, i don't say throwaway scene but they they really captured that um corporate chicanery you know of like like setting you like like we're doing this thing that that we know is probably really really dangerous and damaging to humanity but you know we have money to make so we're gonna put you at ease with some jiggered stats it really yeah. feels like someone's trying to sell you a timeshare really <laughs> it's just a brain really time fast share. and break stuff huh uh apparently in the real world this is also true i just googled it there is a recall.ai Recall is a team of elite engineers and data scientists. From hang on, from strategy to execution, we challenge businesses, large and small, to ignore the impossible and seize upon market-defining business opportunities. Unfortunately, they did ignore the impossible and refused to engage with these morons. <laughs> you know, like you have to make a point though that that they like when you said that this this movie must have inspired Elon Musk. Like you've got the whole. Neuralink, and you've got the whole like I'm going to set up a Martian death colony thing. So, like, <laughs> who would watch this movie and say a Martian colony? That's the thing I want to do. Well, depressingly, we have the answer to that question. I yep. think the only people properly inspired by this movie were the Wachowskis, who you know kind of kept the theme going with the Matrix and such. You know, future tech is bad. Don't plug your brain into shit. Yeah, exactly. Don't take the red pill <laughs> or the blue pill. I can't remember which. In Soviet Russia. Pill takes you. So, Arnie asks about a dream vacation to Mars. Dream, as in not real, but you're still going to insist on telling people about it anyway the next morning. McLean also tries to dissuade Arnie from going to boring old Mars, but Arnie has his heart set on urban decay and oppressive future fascism, like an Elon Musk fanboy with actual muscles. It's Mars or nothing for this hunk of beef jerky with a face. Capitalism has truly prevailed in this future where workers don't even get to take time off for their vacations. That's No, I mean, that's a really key point. Like, I mean, <laughs> this is this is saying a lot, particularly in the era uh, when you say this this takes place in the 1990s. Workers were being stripped of of their 
pensions and stripped of their vacations and all the whole package that that workers had been uh, expecting up to this point. I mean, this is this is the time when people are being stripped of all this stuff. So this decline is decline of the minimum wage, all of that mm-hmm. shit. And this is another part that's different from the story. There is a there's a slight difference though. In this, Arnie's going to know that it's a dream, and he might get some souvenirs and stuff and take it back. But in the story, you weren't supposed to know it was a dream, and the souvenirs would be already in your house or the postcards would be mailed so that it was uh, more realistic, like so that you didn't even realize it was a dream instead of just being given all the stuff. Well, that was the thing is that when Phil Dick wrote this book, like one of the things that he he warned about in the late 70s was the idea of being unceasingly bombarded with pseudo realities manufactured by sophisticated people using sophisticated electronic mechanisms, which I would say we're right. We're already there. But yeah. like he was worried about this in in the early seventies when he wrote the story. Makes sense. He was right. <laughs> Despite being adamant about going to Mars, Arnie voices his safety concerns. Ari, the whole guy who got lobotomized thing, and McLean assures him that's ancient history, while showing him some colorful graphs and data on just how few brains they scramble nowadays. Colorful, graphy. McLean goes into upsail mode and offers Arnie the ego trip package that lets you have a different identity on your vacation memories. Arnie is instantly drawn to the secret agent storyline and eagerly adds it. There's even mention of a holiday fling with a femme fatale. You know, because the constant athletic sex with 1990s Sharon Stone can be such a bore. His instincts are far more basic. Cut to Arnie grinning like an idiot and laying back into a machine that will certainly be reused as futuristic and or alien technology in other movies. The standard factory-issued lab-coated technician asks Arnie if it's his first trip, and the tech reassures him, don't worry, things hardly ever fuck up around here. I don't know about you, but when somebody's about to do electric thingies to my brain flesh, I wouldn't trust a guy who's only mostly good at it. However, Arnie isn't bothered in the least, and relaxes back into the seat. The doctor asks, would you like us to integrate any alien stuff? referencing the finding of alien artifacts on Mars that we heard about in that convenient news story at the beginning. Take notes, kids. This stuff might be important later. What's alien stuff anyway? I mean, it's anything you want it to be. Wink, wink. I do not take recommendations from a man with a damp typewriter. The doc asks Arnie if he's ready for Dreamland and then stabs him in the neck with a giant syringe before he has a chance to answer. Because, come on, it's like it fucks up often. Relax, bro. You know, so much for informed consent. Also, I'm pretty sure that sound effect was a nail gun. You ever notice that it's always right in the neck whenever they give anyone injections? It's always right in the fucking neck. (laughs) Sci-fi moment. I mean, straight to the jugular. I expect him to just be approaching Arnold's ass with a nail gun. (laughs) Well, it's much more dramatic than putting, you know, an IV cannula into somebody's hand. You know, to the back of someone's hand, like that doesn't look like a big deal. But honestly, if they're giving you the the milk of amnesia, dramatic, realistic, you know, you got to split the difference. But it's but it's a it's a trope, dude. Watch every movie; it's always right in the neck. <laughs> Even, Even Star in Star Trek, Trek the when they stop, yeah, they give you the the hypo yeah, spray yeah, right in the say. goddamn yep. neck. Yep, right in the neck. <laughs> so we can see your facial expression while it happens. So while Arnie begins to slowly fall under the influence of enough drugs to make a horse sit up and ask for tea. They ask him a few questions to fine tune his experience while showing him options of companions. Arnie and the doctor complete his grown up build a bear because that's how women work in the future and the present and forever. As he begins to fade out, he looks closer at the woman on the screen. 
she's identical to the woman from his dream. Foreshadowing? Post-shadowing? Arnie is woozy here, so is the woman on the screen really the same as his dream, or is he already dreaming again? No one knows. Well, no, they make a point that both realities are simultaneously real. Like, both realities are real. That was one of the, that's one of the things that that Verhoeven said later. Mm, Okay, then. Like, the ambiguity is the point. Very 90s. While all of this is going on, the salesman, McLean, is with another customer discussing an even grosser fantasy package. With the emphasis on package. The receptionist starts banging wildly on the window to get his attention because that stupid video phone is functionally useless since he muted it, like every phone nowadays. He answers his phone and the doctor tells him to get to the lab because it looks like we got another schizoid embolism, which is a phrase that makes absolutely zero sense if you have even the slightest clue what schizoid and embolism mean, but has just enough futuristic sciency words to sound good to an early 90s audience. The doctor and company are trying in vain to restrain Arnie, who's screaming, You blew my cover! With his face covered in sweat and bulging veins. This is one of those classic 90s Arnie screams. Real quality stuff. (laughs) Doc tells McLean they've hit a memory block while they shoot Arnie with enough drugs to liquefy an illegal rave, and he passes out in a sweaty heap. (laughs) McLean thinks Arnie's just acting out the secret agent ego trip with all this talk about cover and shit, but the doc tells him they hadn't even started that yet. So these must be real memories they've uncovered. McLean decides responsible and consumer-focused thing to do is cover their tracks and pretend they've never heard of Quaid. Then he tasks the scrawny tech and tiny receptionist with getting an unconscious Arnie into a cab. From the looks of them, they're going to need at minimum a forklift. Yeah, I mean, this is Arnie is bulging like hell here. I mean, <laughs> are they forklift certified, though? All right, guys, let's let's take a break. I am tired of sitting in the dirt. and explore this place a little bit. But we always sit during a conclave. The sitting is part of the fun. That And, and the, the fun judging. is mandatory, isn't it? That and the judging. Judging and sitting and the mandatory fun. And snacks. And booze. This sitting spot leaves a lot to be desired. So sure, Hope, let's check it out. I suppose we can walk and talk, but this is very unorthodox. That next building looks like some sort of museum-ish exhibit about the history of space exploration. Ooh, that looks positively educational. About the very real moon landing that definitely happened and wasn't just a movie set. Ew, theme parks should never be educational. Yeah, God forbid you actually learn something. That's right. Learning stuff is my thing. Nobody better gain anything from this or I'll sue. Fine, fine, fine. We can finish up the summary while we look around and try not to learn. And maybe we can find something to mix with this booze. All Hope had in her purse were several flasks of straight vodka. How proletarian. Uh, Say, uh, anyone see where Brother Methuselah got to? (laughs) Anyone care? (laughs) (laughs) So who's going to take our next segment? I'll take this one. All right. Well... Arnie wakes up in the backseat of a Johnny cab on his way to God knows where. The automated driver looks like an animatronic version of Don Knotts and is voiced by none other than our favorite Star Trek hologram, Robert Picardo, 
Yay! Apparently, the future of travel is Uber crossed with ChatGPT. What a grim portent of things to come. Uh, you know, Zach and I actually worked with Robert Picardo in 2008. Yeah, we met Robert Picardo. Didn't really we? decent guy. Like, actually, yeah. he was he was a really really good guy and and excellent to work with. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, he is fun to work with. I still remember. I still remember something he said when he was having trouble throwing paper onto a, in front of a camera. He said, I'm an actor. I can't actually do anything. I can just look like I can. So so if you if you guys actually knew him, maybe you can answer this question for me. I've always been wondering about. So um, who is Robert Picardo? Oh, you son of a bitch. <gasps> okay, so Robert Picardo, actually, here's the thing. He, he has been in over 150 different movies and television shows since the 80s. Um, and the funny note about him is, despite the fact that he um, he is he usually plays some kind of medical professional. So Star Trek Voyager, he played the holographic doctor. And then also in a TV series called China Beach in the 80s, if anybody remembers that show in the Vietnam oh, yeah. War, he played a military doctor, which is really funny because he actually went to Yale Med School and then dropped out of Yale Med School to then go into the Yale Drama School. And uh, much to the chagrin of his parents. And then irony being what it is, ended up playing doctors on television for 20 years. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Uh, more importantly, he played the Iranian singing cowboy in Inner Space. Yes. <laughs> I love that guy. Oh, shit, that guy. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is the ultimate that guy. Oh. <laughs> in Gremlins, he's, also... he's the lawyer who made out with the female Gremlin. In Gremlins 2, I should say. Yes. <laughs> um, he also was, uh, he was in Black Ops 3, of all things. Yep. He was the voice of the male alien in Explorers as well. When at yep. the end, when they run into the two alien kids, he's the voice of the of the boy alien. Yeah, we should definitely do a PIC on him. Yes, oh, we yeah. should definitely, absolutely, and send it to him. <laughs> yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, we've well, already had Tim note. Russ on the show, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> on a more mundane okay. note, the tune he was whistling in that scene is uh, the Norwegian national anthem. And the car he's driving is a boxy monstrosity with a joystick. Agreed. Speaking of which, Arnie has to be let out of the car as they are conveniently passing his apartment building. He exits through the cab's gullwing doors, which all of the futuristic vehicles have at this time, and runs into his work buddy Harry, who is also conveniently in front of the building. Harry asks how the trip was and gives Arnie shit for going to recall despite being warned against it. Arnie doesn't remember anything and tries to go up the stairs only to be grabbed by a few goons while Harry pulls a gun on him and accuses him of blabbing about Mars. Arnie doesn't know what's going on but goes into full-on Jason Bourne mode and kills the guys in ways he didn't even know he knew how to do. Turns out he never needed a jackhammer to smash it up, if you know what I mean. In Quaid's apartment, Laurie is playing Wii Sports with a holographic tennis coach while wearing 80s-style workout gear. Very nice. The most fashionable and least practical of all workout gear. Seriously, if I tried to work out in that getup, I'd give myself a black eye. <laughs> why, why is that? Could you explain? No, uh, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Admittedly, she does look like she's ready to get physical. Let's get physical. No, physical. no, 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 no. We'll have none of that. Arnie tells her what happened, and she blazes everything on recall, telling him he's just having paranoid delusions. Arnie shows her his blood-covered hands as proof that it isn't all in his head. 
uh, blood that conveniently didn't get on her or any of the other dozen things he's touched since he got home. Laurie calls the doctor while Arnie washes up. When he comes out of the bathroom, the lights are off, and Arnie is shot at and attacked by an unseen assailant who has the accuracy of a stormtrooper who only has instincts for the basics. Mm-hmm. You'd think if she's an assassin, she would have just snuck up behind him while he was in the bathroom and, you know, blown his brains out. Oops. First, yeah. she has to find them. We've got a minimum runtime to commit to and here. And she blew his brains out earlier in the movie. Well, <laughs> well played. He eventually subdues this mysterious attacker, and surprise, surprise, it is in fact his wife, Laurie, trying to kill him. He gets her to talk, and it turns out she didn't know him until six weeks ago. She tells him their whole life and new personality were implanted, and she was set up as his fake wife to make sure the erasure took hold. Arnie is skeptical, but unsure what to believe. Sorry, Quaid, your whole life is just a dream, she says. Arnie asks who he really is, and she claims not to know. I just work here. Nice work if you can get it, though. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, my. Quite a ride. I think that's good. You were the best assignment I ever had, she then tells him, seductively, Uh while suggesting one last quickie, you know, for old time's sake. Old, it's six weeks. (laughs) Old times being a month and a half in this case. Arnie is definitely considering it until the security camera catches his eye and he sees some more goons headed up to the apartment. Seriously, how jaded is he that he consistently gets distracted while making out with Sharon fucking Stone? Right. He calls her a clever girl before knocking her unconscious and running away, which is the proper way to deal with both velociraptors and sexy assassins. Okay, so funny thing about this scene is that Paul Verhoeven is on record as saying that Sharon Stone's performance here in this specific scene is what led him to cast her as Catherine Trammell in his 1992 Basic Instinct. Um, Specifically, he cites the way that Stone's expression goes from evil, uh, murderous, to loving and passionate in the blink of an eye, and then back again. Um, (laughs) Though rumor has it this Jekyll and Hyde trick didn't just happen on screen. Yes, she was (laughs) notorious to be to uh, work with. Nice. Well, Michael Ironside and his henchmen burst in. It's the 90s, so if you're hanging around with Michael Ironside, chances are you are a henchman. That man knew good henching. They wake up Laurie and use a prop straight out of Ghostbusters to track Quaid. It's actually, it's basically just like that doodad they used when they were tracking Robocop. Don't say it. I wasn't gonna. Good. Right in the dick, though. It turns out Laurie is actually married to this guy, Richter, and he plants a big wet kiss on her like he's marking his territory. Uh, Sharon Stone said that uh, Michael Ironside was the only guy on set who treated her like a lady that whole shoot. You know, like he would help her up after stunts and stuff. um, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or deeply internalized sexism, but she said she appreciated him for it, and I'm not going to second guess her. You know, Uh, uh, she's somebody who got treated like shit a lot by a lot of her male co-stars, and so if he was kind to her, then good. Mm -hmm. You know, this this actually tracks when, like, um, Basic Instinct, also with Arnold Schwarzenegger, also with a lot of the same stunt team, um, there was uh, talk of lots of sexism, especially from Elijah Dishku, who was very mistreated as a young actress Mm -hmm. on that set. So, yeah, good on Michael Ironsides is all I'm saying. What a good guy. I bet we'll come to love him over the course of this whole movie. (laughs) 
I kept getting Michael Ironside confused with Dean Stockwell. <laughs> so I had to look oh, it up. I was like, oh, it's not dang. that guy. How can you make that mistake? They look nothing alike. I, but some, I don't know. <laughs> she said that um, she said that everybody else just treated her like one of the guys on set, which you know, I it's it's up to her. She got a lot of bad treatment uh, from a lot of people through most of her acting career, and so if Michael Ironside was good to her and she remembers him for being good to her, then great. Yeah, I, I will just note, um, he, this may have very well been the case at that time, but his um, old-fashioned chivalry attitudes have not aged well. Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing outrageous, outrageous that would have gotten him canceled, but, like, what's the big fucking deal? He's hey, an older guy. He's yeah. a boomer. <laughs> Gotta know your audience. Speaking of boomer, you remember when they made that guy's head explode on scanners? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Michael Ironside and the goons follow Arnie into the subway. And, oh, do you remember that giant x-ray scanner thing? Arnie doesn't, because he walks right through it, and the TSA agents immediately see his gun and try to stop him. Arnie bursts through the x-ray screen, and a chase sequence ensues with zero regard for casualties. Both Arnie and the goons use literal human shields with those good, good 1990s blood squibs bursting off everywhere. Ha <laughs> ha, satisfying. And this scene is a big part of why the film initially got an X rating, which they got changed to an R after a few cuts. Um, but to be fair, more of films got X ratings on their first cut than didn't, because Pauly Boy sure likes his hard R's. Oh, yeah. William H. Hayes is rolling in his grave. As it should be. Well, you know, the uh, the Wild Bunch got like got hit for with an extreme rating due to gore, too. And that was like back in the 1960s, 70s. But you watch it now and it just looks tame. <laughs> yeah, the first part real. of the scene with the skeletons fighting each other actually looked pretty cool. <laughs> kind of reminded me of um, Clash of the Titans or um, oh, yeah. one of those other skeleton ones. Do you remember in the 90s after this film, everyone had to use that skeletons animation effect. They just appeared everywhere. They even reused <laughs> yeah. it later in Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, I don't remember because I was only watching G-rated films at that point. Damn. If so well, were you, Andre, you weren't even bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Speaking of being followed, anybody else feel like we're not the only ones here? Eh, it's probably just the creepy animatronics. Their eyes, they just seem to follow you around. Uh, like a painting in a Scooby-Doo cartoon or a painting of Scooby-Doo. Anyway, enough fear mongering. Back to the movie. Actually, that shoot 'em up scene I found kind of hard to watch uh, because it was just really uber violent, and it wasn't just the goons that were getting shot. It was like us bystanders using being used as human shields. It was kind of hard to take. Well, this was actually a thing that came up with Verhoeven's movies. The studio would constantly be telling him, less blood squibs, less blood. Same thing in Robocop. But they found that when they used less of the squibs, it looked more violent because it seemed more real. When they used tons of them, it just looked cartoonish and, in effect, easier to get through. Fun little paradox there. But, you know, the next the next bit of the movie might be easier on you, so why don't you take us through what what happens next? Before uh, before Andrea does that, though, I just want to say there's a note, a reason why Paul Verhoeven has so 
many like intense violence in all of his movies um, is because the guy grew up in uh, The Hague, right more or less next to a German um, headquarters for B-2 rockets. And so he saw a bunch of Allied bombing as a young child, saw lots of, of really, really hurt people on the streets of The Hague when he, was a, when he was a little kid. So you could say this is him processing his trauma. So you think that was like the inspiration for Ed 209 turning that guy into hamburger in RoboCop? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very much. But you'll see this in Starship Troopers. You'll see this in Basic Instinct. There's a reason why his violence is, is not just cartoonish and over the top, but really visceral. Um, because he doesn't want to romanticize it in kind of any kind of like like Western, you know, American mm -hmm. cowboy movie. Right. Like he wants people to be like, oh, God. Hey, you remember when Ed 209 turned that guy into hamburger in Robocop? Don't stop. <laughs> so Arnie makes it onto the subway without the goons and sees another conveniently timed ad this one for actual trips to Mars. He gets all his best advice from Subway ads, like all the best crazy people. Richter makes a quick call to his boss, and we finally meet this Cohagen everyone has been talking about. And Ronnie Cox is just as much an asshole as you've been hoping. Cohagen is behind it all, and he wants Quaid alive. Alive, damn it. Poor Ronnie Cox. I think he's probably been typecast as the asshole boss. He plays it well. So the next scene is great. They say the title of the film and Rector pretends to lose reception because they don't like the whole take him alive part of the conversation. I think I've got sunspots, Rector tells Cohagen while he and his Woody Harrelson looking sidekick keep tracking Arnie. Except That's gotta be sunspots. one of the best and also worst excuses for why you can't talk to somebody over the phone. Sunspots don't provide that kind of distortion, though. What the fuck? I mean, Cohagen is on Mars. I mean, seriously, nobody's buying that. I'm going through a tunnel on Mars <laughs> in the sun. <laughs> in a random seedy hotel that people on the run always wind up at in the 90s, Quaid gets a call from a stranger who tells him that he is bugged and it's in his brain. So he needs to wrap a wet towel around his head to dampen the signal. Pun intended. Wah, wah. A towel is the most massively useful thing any interstellar hitchhiker can have. In the short story, this implant was an organism from the moon that could transmit his thoughts to any agent with the proper receiver. Total dick move. Yeah, those guys were total dicks for implanting the tracker. No, no, no. I mean, it's a Philip K. dick move to gaslight his readers by wrapping up paranoid schizophrenia in science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of dicks, remember when? Yes! Oh my yes. god. Ugh. Arnie looks out the window to see Mystery Dude, who looks like Budget Hasselhoff, waving at him from a payphone on the street and leaving a suitcase for him. He says they work together at the agency on Mars, and Quaid instructed him to deliver this case if he ever went missing. How he conveniently found Wade at exact the right time and places anyone's guess. After grabbing the suitcase, Quaid assaults another Johnny Cab who won't go fast enough and manages to lose the goons. He hops out of the cab at an abandoned building just before the Johnny Cab tries to run over Quaid, smashing into a wall and exploding, apparently out of spite for all the mishandling. Why does a robot cab driver and his ride explode in a fiery ball of destruction? Because fuck you, that's why. It's the 90s, gratuitous explosions were de rigueur. Well, you know, self-driving cars exploding is a thing, and when they explode, they explode big. That's true. What makes it even creepier is that as the robot burns, he says, hope you enjoyed the ride. 
So I actually wonder if actually, because the thing just plows itself into the wall, right? So yeah, and like, it almost feels like, because we were talking about how this is kind of satire on like capitalist society and how it grounds you down. Even the Johnny Cab, like can't stand its nihilistic uh, existence <laughs> and so it's just is like i want to end it all right so that last like i hope you enjoyed the ride is both like really sardonic and really pathetic at the same time like that's all it's ever been programmed to do and that's the <laughs> limit of its existence and all it can hope for in this life and therefore it would rather die in burning agony uh, that reminds <laughs> that's dark man that's just dark so you're saying it's like a yet it's it's like another real world uh, self-driving electric car company, huh? Oh, Honestly, could you imagine the Teslas are running themselves <laughs> off the road because they can't stand being Teslas? <laughs> it, it honestly kind of reminds me of like Red Dwarf with the vending machines and the self-aware toaster. <laughs> oh yeah, just like, you're right. What is all meaning? I don't know. Want some toast? <laughs> Kill me. It's, it's almost like Verhoeven, like, for just a moment, handed the script to his, his buddy, uh, Werner Herzog. Here you go. Could you just, this one, this one moment, could you do something with this? Either that or Verhoeven was off camera just going, yeah, I don't like the tech sheet. Burn it, burn it all. <laughs> <laughs> what is the meaning of life, a taxi? So, yeah, we're identifying at least three different aspects to which a, a certain tech bro billionaire uh, was uh, inspired. So. Oopsie, whoopsie. Terrifying. So he opens the case and finds all the classic secret agent kit, stacks of cash, red so you know it's from Mars, a gun, a handful of fake IDs, a big ass medical device, and a watch that projects a hologram decoy of himself. The case also includes a screen of an extremely compact laptop, at least by 90 standards. It's barely large enough to stun an antelope. On the screen, <laughs> there's a message from Hauser, who is supposedly Arnie's true identity. Okay. Hauser tells himself that he worked for Mars Intelligence his entire life. But once he learned how shitty Cohagen was, he decided to defect and try to do right. He says he knows enough to fuck over Cohagen, and that's why his memory was erased. Hauser instructs Quaid to use one of the gadgets in the suitcase to remove the tracker from his head. He tells him to shove it way up his nose, and when you hear the crunch, you're there. <laughs> this does not apply to Q-tips. Nice practical effect here as Arnie pulls a gumball-sized device from his nostril. The next set of instructions are, get your ass to Mars. Then flash one of the fake IDs at the front desk at the Hilton. Was this product placement? Yes. Just a note, yeah, like, I mean, you can access your brain through the sphenoid bone at the back of your nose, but there's also a whole lot of really important stuff there, like, you don't want to mess that up. It's <laughs> like, all the triangle of death. You're not supposed to fuck with anything in that kind of nose area, because it can get all up into your brain. Yeah, like, your hypothalamus is there, you don't want to, yeah, mm -mm. You don't want to do uh, impromptu brain surgery out on the street and then walk around with that open wound. Nah. Or, oh, as Total Recall suggests, you absolutely should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a construction pit. It's the best place for it. Why not? You, you, you might say that the, the, the strange case of the, the guy in the suitcase telling him to go away is the <clears throat> the mystery of Kastfar Hauser. That's, that's actually really funny if you, if you know that's about obscure, yeah. early, no. impressionistic but we don't. film. No. So, sorry. 
I think it's funny that guy never get comes back or is referenced ever again. He's just like, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Here's your suitcase. Peace I'm out. out. <laughs> Though I will say, listen, if if a if a filthy, rusty, like tetanus laden construction site is good enough for Arnie to like perform brain surgery on himself, it's good enough for us to sit in and do a conclave. Actually, in the director's cut of Total Recall, that guy, after giving the case, runs into a wall and explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I need to see that. And says, (laughs) you're welcome for the suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that guy. Yeah, burn him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. What, What happens next? Richter and the bad boys notice the cab explosion and find Arnie's hiding spot. Arnie has just enough time to grab what he needs, destroy the rest, and give the tracker to a pack of rats. The goons fight some of Arnie's holograms, then kill enough rats to end up on PETA's shit list. Their method of pest control is shooting one rat at a time. This is going to take a really long time. And a lot of ammo. (laughs) The half-destroyed laptop is just repeating, get your ass to Mars. So that's what everyone is going to do. Get your ass to Mars. Dibs on Richter and the Bad Boys is a band name. <laughs> it's yours. Whew. Speaking of, I need to get my ass to the bathroom. Or Whiz Palace, as we say around here. Are there even any working bathrooms here? Looks like some porta potties were left here. Oh, boy. Nah, works for me. Very well. We break. Andre. I, uh, that voice. Does anyone hear that? Nope. Sorry. No. Uh, well, since we're taking a bit of a break, uh, I'll be right back. Uh, sounds like it's coming from that little concrete forest over there. Uh, keep, keep away from sci-fi laptops. <laughs> Screw that. I'm from space. And that's the story of how we lost our comrade. <gasps> Hello? Is anybody there? Is this the right meeting spot? You're going to have to take off that Soviet space helmet. I can't understand a dashed word. Agent Morat, I have message from High Council for you. Oh, I'm not going to like this. The High Council says, hello. Oh, that's not so bad. Also, you are to activate secret sleeper agent to destroy heretic cult. Oh, bum biscuits. That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andrea Palladino, Daniel Scribner, Andy Slack, Hope Bravo, and Alessandra Martinez. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Ambiance created in part by Miracle Forest Music. Sound effects and incidental music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit us at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com for season one and profiles in Cinemania. We have social media for you to join the discussion. We have a subreddit at r slash thecinemaniasociety and a Facebook page. 
If you liked what you heard, head over to Patreon and throw us a few bones. We love making fun stuff for folks to listen to, but it sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.